It was the dawn of the third age of podcasting, 20 years after Babylon 5's debut. This intro cast is a dream-given form. Its goal? To introduce the show to new fans by creating a place where new viewers and old alike can discuss the show peacefully. It's a port of call, home away from home for geeks, nerds, podcasters, and wanderers. British and Americans, wrapped up in minutes of audio downloads, all alone on the web. It can be a silly place, but it's our last best hope for intelligent analysis. This is the story of the first of the Babylon 5 intro cast. The year is 2014. The name of the show is Down Below. Well, hello again, everyone, and welcome to Down Below, a Babylon 5 intro cast. I'm Will. I'm Ann. I'm Heidi. I'm Elizabeth. Today we are pleased to be joined once again by the Babylon Lurkers. Say hello to Yan. Hello. Hey, Yan. Welcome back. And yeah. hello to all of you. <laughs> hey. Yeah, good to have you back. Yeah. Yes. Once again, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> We're getting quite the cast of regulars with you and um, Shane. Uh, yes. Today we are here to discuss episode 15 of season 1, Grail. But first, here is an ISN special report. This is an ISN special report. A human named Aldous Gaich arrived on Babylon 5 this week to meet with the ambassadors in his search for the mythical Holy Grail. While there, he rescued Thomas Jordan from being exiled. Thomas Jordan, also known as Jinxo, in the Babylon 5 circles. In other news, Ambassador Kosh's encounter suit was used for a Nakaleen to hide in, which resulted in the Ambassador being suspected of wiping a witness's memory. This has been an ISN special report. Grail originally aired July 6, 1994. It had been about five weeks since TKO. Um, it was directed by Richard Compton, who last directed Believers, and this is his last episode on the show. Oh. So they had kind of a weird schedule then. They were going well into the summer. Yeah. I, know, I think that happened like that some years, where they start at the beginning of the year, they take a time off during the summer and end around the end of the year. Okay. Then start the next season a few weeks later. This episode was written by Christy Mark. She's uh, written for a lot of animated series like Jim, J-E-M, uh, G.I. Joe, Spider-Man, and His Amazing Friends. And now she works for Zynga, who makes all those annoying Facebook games. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, considering uh, JMS first started, I mean, I don't know whether he first started, sorry, I should have rephrased that, but he did a lot of uh, animated shows in the 80s. I think maybe this... Is right. where he knows her from. Right, probably so. But very likely. Uh, this was the ninth episode of the season produced. It aired 15. Okay. Uh, let's get started with the recap. So the episode begins with the transport ship, the Von Braun, docking at the station. Passengers has passengers and the normal stuff. And next we see Sinclair and Garibaldi eating when they're interrupted by Delenn and Lanier. She's mad because he's not going to meet a distinguished guest who is on the ship that just docked. And Sinclair didn't know about it, but he has time to change. <laughs> yes. Yeah. She I wrote really down mad. that they just got married and she's already nagging him about what he's wearing. 
<laughs> Not just that, she knows exactly when to time it, you know, just as he's sitting down for dinner. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> so next in the down below, we see a man named Deuce talking to a man named Chinkso who had been avoiding him. Deuce is played by William Sanderson. I love William Sanderson. He he was a Dharma Initiative member on Lost. He was an episode of X-Files, but most people probably know him more recently from Deadwood and maybe True Blood. But back in the day... He oh, was, okay. Yeah. yeah. Back in the day, he was on the New Heart show. He, you know, I don't know if you've seen that. Um, he was, his name was Larry. He would always say, I'm Larry. This is my brother, Daryl. This is my other brother, Daryl. It's that guy. And Jinx... It was kind of an interesting choice, you know, with his accent and everything. It was Yeah. I think he's from Memphis, maybe. Um, Jinxo is played by Tom Booker. So Deuce wants payback. Who's done nothing else, apparently. I didn't notice anything. Yeah, I like his voice sounded really familiar to me, so I wondered if he had done animated stuff, but I went and looked, and he like went on to either writing or directing or something and hadn't really done much actual acting. Yeah, I know when when he was on, he seemed that sort of really familiar kind of voice, as he said, and kind of face in some ways. But it's just one of those people that reminds me of the guy that plays Wormchell on Harry Potter. Oh, oh yeah, I like it's not him, but I think that he like bears a really close resemblance or something. Yeah, I thought he looked familiar, and I figured he'd been in something, but when I looked him up, I didn't see anything. So Deuce wants payback for all the favors he's done for Jinxo. Since security's been making his life more difficult, he needs Jinxo to open up some more supply corridors. And since Jinxo helped build the station, he would know the ins and outs better. Jinxo doesn't want to be a part of it, so Deuce calls in Jinxo's debts. And we see Deuce bring in Miriam Running Deer, who is going to testify against Deuce. And you see some kind of tentacle reach out. It touches her and... She, well, it looked like she killed her, but it turned out that she didn't. A deuce gives Jinxo 300 cycles to pay his debt, because then he'll be hungry again. And he says, won't you, Ambassador Caution? We see Caution's encounter suit. It's the opening Right. Yeah. And, and this yeah. is the point that I freaked out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think my jaw was hanging down for a good 30 like, seconds. What? Yeah. What? Like I, I had to post yeah. on the Facebook group. It was just like, wait. What just happened? So his encounter suit uh, is full of snakes? <laughs> to tell you, we all did that first time. <laughs> that, uh, that, yeah, it's, it's just, it's, it's one of those lovely little things, you know. Uh, I just wish I could have seen your reactions. <laughs> I know, I was like, why don't we do commentary for this? Because, yeah. yeah, that um, was that was pretty shocking. Yeah, but first, earlier in the scene, I have written down the Dukes of Hazard are on Babylon Five. <laughs> the guy's accent and the whole like evil villain quality to him, I was like, okay, yeah, it's hard to take too seriously. <laughs> exactly. So he all he wanted was him to give him information about like how the station is set up, basically. Yeah, maybe some like hidden ways that he can, I guess, smuggle his supplies on board. Mm-hmm. Okay. And when you said 300 cycles, I was like, mm, cycles again. What are cycles this time? I don't know. I know. Uh, yeah, this time they're referring to cycles as hours. Actually, our JMS 
actually said something that they were basically trying to work out the in-universe time uh, and its kind of early days, and they kind of didn't quite have it, um, you know, fully realised. And, of course, because this was produced before the other episode, it's kind of not in, in proper continuity, I think. I think going forward, cycles. If cycles are mentioned again, there'll be days. But as this was produced early on in the production line, they still hadn't got that sorted. So it was kind of used as an hour reference or some sort of. It must be shorter than an hour because because three hundred hours is a long time. It is, and also between there here and when he sees him in the courtroom and he says two hundred forty cycles left, that would be sixty hours. But he goes from here directly to where the Von Braun is loading to follow, you know, Gaiet. I don't, yeah, I don't know exactly what time measurement it is. It might be some sort of decimal measurement of time, you know, something done in a base 10 measurement of time so that, you know, rather than 60 seconds or 60 minutes, you've got this measurement of time, which is cycles. Yeah, it seems like like you would give him like a day to to yeah. figure it out. Which is, I think that's must equate to a day because it seemed like everything took place within more or less a day period. Yeah, I think he did say this would be the last time we would hear the term cycles for measurement, but I'm not sure. Oh, really? Okay. He didn't like. Ah, it. yes, yes. Here it is. It won't be appearing again. <clears throat> okay, it's, so it doesn't matter too much. He actually <laughs> says it's one of our. All right. You do these things in the first season, you know, you work these things out. Yeah, working the kinks out. So after the opening credits, we see a man named Mr. Flynn testifying in front of an um, ombudsman. I think it was he was suing because the alien kidnapped his family or something. Love it. Yeah, um, it's a lovely concept, yeah. It's such a funny scene. (laughs) Yeah. Just the whole idea of you go into space and, you know, we've got this whole court culture at the moment. And even in the 90s, I think it was still there at some level. And just taking that forward and just seeing this guy trying to sue an alien for kidnapping his great-grandfather. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and, yeah, um, there's a JMS note on this that the human won the case, but damn damages were that were awarded were minimal. You kind of <laughs> it was worth bringing to court. <laughs> I just imagine that this was an X-Files crossover and that that alien uh, had appeared on X-Files at some point. <laughs> I, I almost kind of lo- would like to think that the guy that's suing this alien is um, related to Foxmonger somehow. <laughs> that would be awesome. <laughs> yes, possibly. Uh, Mr. Flynn was played by John C. Flynn, the guy that directed the last episode, DP, most of the oh, series. Uh, and, oh, and he's, okay. Well, he's all the way through. He's director of photography, so... Uh, um, Buds Wellington, he's played by Jim Norton. He was in the second Harry Potter movie. He played Einstein in two episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation, and he'll be back in a... The actor will be back in a few more episodes of the series, this series. Yeah, so let's talk really quickly about this because it's interesting to see, right? Yeah. This, what they have here um, on Babylon Five. This is the first time we've we've come across this, you know, the way I guess the legal um, settlement. I mean, 
it's not like, it's not a trial. <laughs> it's like a hearing. Yeah. Um, it's, where he makes, I mean, he has yeah, some sort authority. of judicial hearing. Yeah. Yeah. So, and it's like interspecies. So that's, that's interesting. <laughs> I mean, it's like a, it's like an earth judge. I wonder if we're ever going to get any non-earth judges <laughs> or ombudsmen. Yeah. And, I, I think, you know, it, it's, you've got to remember this is an earth run station. So, I mean, I don't know. I didn't forget. What but the I mean, system he's, is, but I think, think that's why you've got an, a human judge here. It's because he's got that little earth force badge. It could be that. Um, I'm speculating here, um, but because it's Earth-owned, I mean, human-run, the ombudsmen are kind of part of Earth Force. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of a legal side of Earth Force. It's also interesting because this particular case, I guess, didn't take place, like the crime didn't occur on Babylon 5. So it's interesting that, you know, this trial hearing, whatever we're, we're calling it that's going on, is happening on Babylon 5 rather than yeah. on the planet or, I don't know, wherever it took place. I'm, yeah, it's it, that's another interesting thing. It's making use of Babylon 5 as a way station, as a port of call, as it says in the opening credits. Mm-hmm. You are summoned right, but if that to was Babylon the case, 5. Yeah, like, if that was the case, then why would it be just Earth judges? Because, I mean, you're talking about other planets, and why would they even come to be to maybe Babylon 5 to be here heard? Maybe if it gets to, like, actual trial with a jury, it's a jury of your peers, and then you get all sorts of different uh, <laughs> alien species on the jury. I don't know. It was like people's yeah. court where you just want to <laughs> you agree to whatever decision that this guy comes up with. Yeah, it's like a mediation almost. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so the defendant makes his plea in the call for a translator. Now, this scene was inserted by JMS because the episode was too short. Oh. It's kind okay. of, like, it, it wasn't was really yeah, connected to the rest of the episode that much. Yeah. It was a lot but of fun. I thought it was well placed. Yeah. Next, we see Jinxo walking through the corridor. He gets a look on his face like he got an idea, and then he runs off. Well, you actually hear over the uh, PA system that a ship's about to dock, and I think his idea is what we see later on. Yeah. It's basically, he hears, oh, there's a ship docking. I can pick, pick the pocket of some person who's coming off there. Right, and then be able to stay... Um... Maybe in jail or something, yeah. Next we see the distinguished guest arrive. His name is Aldous. I'm not sure how they pronounce this. I can't remember how they pronounced this last night. Guyet. Guyet? Guyet. I'll just call him Aldous. Yeah, and a um, bit of trivia. I, I don't know, maybe uh, Will's about to say this, but Aldous was actually named after Mira Perlin's husband at the time. I don't know whether they're still married or not, but... Um, yeah, the information I've got in front of me is that uh, Christy Marks named Aldous after Mary Perlin's husband. Oh, cool. Yeah. Okay. The guy, the guy age, I think. Yeah. It sounds like... Uh, yeah, so, Serbian, Croatian, something. Yeah. Guy was played by David Warner, who is a very accomplished actor, voice actor. He's been in Star Trek movies. He played Jor-El in Lois and Clark. Yep. 
Uh, it was a Doctor Who episode, Cold War, last year. Yes. My favorite role of his, which is probably how I was introduced to him, there was a two-part episode of Star Trek The Next Generation called Chain of Command, where he played the Kardashian who was interrogating Captain Picard. The what? The Kardashian? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and he was Chancellor Gorkon. Okay. See, In my the... favorite role of him is of Jack the Ripper in that movie, Time After Time, oh, which is amazing. That. It's like the late 70s, early 80s. Um, it has Malcolm McDowell and Mary Steen Virgin. It's great. He was really good. It's a great movie. Okay. That's all I think about him as Jack the Ripper. <laughs> the yeah. thing is, he's one of those actors that when he appears, your eyes just immediately drawn to him and he just performs so well every time. Oh, yes. He will be coming to FedCon next week. Well, I'll say hello to him. Ah, uh, cool. Oh, nice. What is he there representing? Just himself or like a specific... Uh, it's uh, uh, general sci-fi. Oh, okay. Uh, I was going to say that was Kardashian, not Kardashian. <laughs> oh, the other, the latter is much, much more entertaining, I'm sure. But if you follow me on enough you know, social media sites or gaming sites, a lot of times in my profile I like to use the phrase, there are four lights, and that's a reference to the Next Generation episode he was in. Yes. Anyway, so it's also, it's also your tagline here. Oh yeah, in Skype. <laughs> um, Lanier, Delenn, and Aldous are all happy to meet each other. Um, Aldous is seeking the sacred vessel of regeneration, aka the cup of the goddess, aka the Holy Grail. So Garibaldi and Sinclair seem a little skeptical, but Aldous, yeah, they actually share a look, don't they? <laughs> They do. So Aldous's order has been searching for a long time since they ran out of places on Earth to search. They're looking for other worlds, so they're here on B5 to get some help from the ambassadors, and he's going to need some credits. So this guy must have seen the uh, latest Indiana Jones movie, and so he's gone in search <laughs> elsewhere. <laughs> has he tried Spain well, well, you, well you never know by this time there might be a whole new trilogy <laughs> made by um, what George Lucas's great grandson or something right yeah J.J. Abrams J.J. Abrams J.J. Abrams <laughs> well you don't know you know well, that the families might have married at that point and <laughs> won't be the same person <laughs> is it yes. coincidence that um Okay, so the Holy Grail is supposed to be like a kind of a healing thing, right? Like, re- like they said, regeneration. Um, is it coincidence that we're, we're putting into this into the same scene with the Mimbari? Because they also believe in sort of regeneration and reincarnation, I'm wondering. Good question. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's, it's a good question to ask, really, because... Uh, it, it, you don't definitely get an insight further into um, how the Membari kind of view things in this episode. So with, with GMS, you don't want to say nothing is coincidence, even in episodes like this. Mm-hmm. You don't want to say it? You don't want to say that things are coincidence. Just right, coincidence. he's probably a reason that he used them. But it's interesting. That's right. Yeah. With episodes like this, when it's written by someone else, you can't be sure what he's put in here and what the other person has thrown in for the one-off episode. Uh True. I think I have to look into the script books. But basically, they're basically saying, like, 
in the text of this of the script, the reason that they're interested in him is because they consider him a true seeker. Right. You know, a seeker of the reasons and whatever she says later about everything and you know, um meaning. Yeah. And a certain other show and book series have kind of Slightly spoiled this for me because I can't hear Seeker without hearing Legend of right before oh, yeah. it now. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I mean, it, the ser- the book series of What I've Read of it, it does have some good bits of it. And the TV series was kind of okay. But it's kind of having that image in my mind as well kind of doesn't quite fit with this. Uh, I've never seen it. Uh, I was going to do a podcast about that show, but couldn't find anybody who wanted to do it with me, so I just scrapped it. It's okay. It's an okay series. It's yeah. just... I was a really big fan of the books. It, what I, was, I want what was they more of the book series. It's, it's kind of a um, fantasy series, both in book and TV series. Uh, and they've trained... From what I could tell, they changed a few things in the TV series, but it's basically that classic hero hero quest thing. Yeah, cool. And stretch it out, stretch it out. Yeah, yeah. Everybody stretches it out after a while. Oh, it's only going to be a trilogy, but then ten books later, <laughs> finishing it up. <laughs> anyway, I uh, don't know. Um, Jim Butch says has said that Dresden Files series was meant to be a twenty series. Um, thing we followed by something. a yeah followed by another um, linked series of novels. Wow, and Brandon Sanderson's got a thirty book series in his mind. So <laughs> it's crazy. Wow. Hmm. Wonder if they can finish them. Yeah, probably well, not. We, real of time. Are we really going off topic here? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, Dylan is kind of puzzled by Sinclair's reaction, but he explains that the Grail is just a myth on Earth. Dylan says that Aldous is a true seeker, and to her, you know, her people treat true seekers with the utmost respect. It doesn't matter if this Grail is real or not, just, you know. So Sinclair wishes him luck and says he only may, he may be the only true seeker they have. And Dylan says that maybe you don't know yourself as well as you think. Uh, <laughs> what are you talking about? And this is where Dr. Franklin calls Sinclair to Metlap because they have another brain wipe victim. But yeah, it's like, does she remember, what was that episode? Uh, in the Sky Full of Stars? Yeah. It's almost as if she's saying something here deliberately to provoke a reaction, which in a previous episode she's trying to cover up. What are her her motives here? Or she's just taken a a note from Kasha's book and is now being very cryptic. (laughs) Yeah, it's really weird. And also, like, what is she seeing in him that we don't see? (laughs) Yeah. What well, is he you seeking? know, she is her, he is her husband, and she's in love. and Yeah, she's <laughs> blinded. I mean, other than he's seeking what happened to him, but that's her fault. So that's the only thing I know he's seeking. I don't know. It's very strange. Next, we see Jinxo steal from Aldis, who's exchanging some credits. But Garibaldi, of course, was at the right place at the right time and stops him. He's their escort, I guess. It looks like Jinxo has done this before, Aldous is a little reluctant to be a witness, but he goes along. 
That is quick justice, I have to say. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Get to stand before the ombudsman right away. But, like, Although pickpockets I'm... get sent off the ship, but, like, <laughs> people with, yeah. I guess, worse crimes, violence and stuff, they, nope, they stay. <laughs> well, it, um. it se- I was going to say, it seemed like um, the whole uh, thing with Juice, that trial had taken a bit more time. They had to gather evidence before that trial could proceed, whereas this one, it was, you know, the you know Garibaldi witness crime, um... And the perpetrator and the victim of the crime were right there in the same place. Yeah, but they didn't um, have because... any evidence with Deuce. They had a one witness. That's it. Yeah. That's, uh, uh, that's yeah. And uh, that's true. Had. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So is this the scene where they talk about the mind wiping happening with Doctor Franklin? Yeah. 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 And that it, like, took away their entire life experience, so they would basically have to be uh, taught as if they were babies into Mm -hmm. adulthood again. Right. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. Who's going to do that? (laughs) Yeah. So, death of personality. Yeah. Wow. It's... And then they also talk about... Everything, that is just... Basically, as as Dr. Franklin said, put back to an input state. Yeah, There's, it's not amnesia. It's, it's like nothing. It's 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 death of experience, death of yeah. life in a way. Because and she's quite old anyway. It, 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 you know, she she looked like she was in her mid sixties, and so she's going to have a very interesting latter life, isn't she? Because yeah, if they train awful. her up, she's gonna, she's mentally, if she can be, even if she can be trained up to adulthood, that's still kind of put her in kind of the mental state of an early twenty-year-old, let's say, but in the body of a sixty-something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like with the brain, would the brain learn again, like it does in childhood? You know, like would things be even picked up as quickly? Yeah, and how, how was it wiped? Was it was the brain completely um, made a blank slate, or as happens sometimes in, in stroke victims and other things, were just the connections severed and the information still there, and they just need to train her to use a different part of her brain to access all the information. That's still mm-hmm. there, but that's what's going to take time. And then in this scene, they also talked about uh, the down below and Garibaldi. Um, yeah, wanting he's to got quite an extreme reaction. Take there. it out. Um, but so people come; they're looking for a job and a new life, and they don't find it, so they end up in the down below. Why let all these people come? Yes, there's a simple there solution jobs? to this. <laughs> yes. I mean, seriously, well, just require them to have a return ticket or at least money held in escrow for a return ticket. For a job <laughs> That's the simple solution. Well, they can't control everyone who um, basically buys a ticket. But that, you know, that's someone else that says that ships that come. So they have passport they, control. <laughs> yeah, so they just control the cargo. They don't control the uh, passengers. They no, can, they should well, be able they to can monitor them, but they, you know, you've got to have some. It, it, 
they've got to have some sort of free passage. So, you know, someone can come into Babylon 5 saying they're here for a visit and yes, but actually being to... here, here to stay. They should have have to. Re- they should require a return ticket. That's or a forward ticket before somebody can get on the the station. That's a simple solution. <laughs> I guess in a way we're talking about immigration here, and maybe there's a right. simple solution, but there isn't. So, <laughs> right. Also, let's it's say it's a small that... little. It's a small station. I okay, know. it's five <laughs> miles long, yeah, <laughs> and there's only one entrance. Let's say that happened. Let's say that happened. What could then happen? Actually, is there might also then be an underground trade in return tickets, and Have actually you could sell your you could sell your return ticket for some cash to try and continue to make a go of it. And so you would then get stuck there. But it's two hundred years in the future. They should have be- verifiable ways to <laughs> to make sure that ticket is for that person. There can only be so much food on this space station, so there has to be like a population cap. Right, like a cent, and also it's like a census. They should know who's there. Mm. I don't know. It just seems like a. It seems I don't know. It's kind of a weird problem to have on a contained one entrance station. <laughs> My reaction to this thing was, "Yay, Doctor Franklin's back!" <laughs> well, I do have "Yay, Doctor Franklin" <laughs> in my notes. <laughs> yeah, but Garibaldi did recognize Miriam running there. She was supposed to testify against Deuce and. Um, Sinclair wants to kind of hold off on trying to solve the down-below problem, but he does want Garibaldi to tell the ombudsman the bad news. And he orders Dr. Franklin to find out if the mind-white problem is related to Deuce. Back in the courtroom, Thomas Jordan, a.k.a. Jinxo, is up for trial or whatever. And it's his third arrest for petty thievery. The judge is going to be lenient on him because he worked on all five of the Babylon stations. Um, oh, he's banned from Babylon 5 for five years. And this makes Jinx so upset. He has, he says that he has to stay on the station or it'll be the end of the station. At this point, all this agrees to have Jinx so remanded into his custody. Um, as they're leaving, Deuce reminds him that he has 2,240 cycles left to pay Deuce. And now it's Deuce's turn to go before the ombudsman, ombudsman. He pleads not guilty. But since Miriam can't come forward, the judge dismisses the case. Yep. Lack of evidence. Yeah. Next we see Jinxo and Aldous talking. Jinxo explains that something will bad will happen if he leaves the station because of the Babylon curse. And at this point, there's 200 cycles left. So Jinxo tells his story. He says he is the curse. B1 and... B2 were sabotaged when he took some leave. B3 blew up while he was gone, and that's when he got the name Jinxo. So when B4 was being built, he stayed there until it was finished, but as he was leaving, the station wrinkled and disappeared. <laughs> All this says that people should call him lucky because he managed to escape the worst each time. This okay. was great. Yeah. We got history here. Yeah, we got a bit more on what happened to the other Babylon stations. Mm-hmm. Like, two of them were sabotaged, which is kind of interesting. And never even made it into, like, operation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then and he also said the first the first one was they did a number on it. So you can imagine, basically, that for the first one, they spent a load of money on it and, you know, was meant to be probably, you know, this top-of-the-line thing. 
Mm-hmm. And he said yeah. the infrastructure collapsed. Yeah. It's pretty impressive what they were able to do. Because he said he's younger. He's basically younger than Sinclair, who's supposed to be 39, because he wasn't old enough to participate in the war. Right. Mm-hmm. But yet he's worked on the construction of all five of the stations, which is pretty impressive construction time, if you think about it. Yeah. Like Very. five stations, and he's younger than 39. So Definitely, he must even be younger than Ivanova, who signed up during the war. Yeah, I don't know about that, but uh, I built five stations in what ten years? Well, <laughs> and they just kept building them, even though they kept. And compared yeah. to what we do today, yeah. But yeah, it was totally interesting. And then basically, like Babylon Four, just yeah, Did disapparated. You like this disapparated. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wrinkled. Yeah, that wrinkled. I'm definitely interested in. Wrinkled out of existence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Twisted so, like a putty. Yes. Akio Babylon 4. <laughs> That'll work. <laughs> so, yeah, we'll be interested to hear your theories later on because this kind of must add to what you're thinking of what that... ever happened. No, it doesn't before. add anything. It just, uh, no, it just gave me questions. It didn't give me any answers. Because <laughs> we already <laughs> thought that Babylon 4 would come back. So. I don't know what this this doesn't really change that because I mean it it still can come back I mean it it just went somewhere else right that's right it disapparated yeah it evaporated again somewhere else and it will come back <laughs> nice uh, I love the analogy <laughs> uh, we see Sinclair telling Garibaldi he needs to get more witnesses but, um, Ivanova and Franklin have found something. They think the perpetrator of these brain wipes is a knuckling feeder, a quasi-sentient beast under quarantine in the Centauri sector, and Garibaldi thinks Deuce must have smuggled one on board. How could it be quasi-sentient when it talks? <laughs> I think maybe, maybe it's um, sentient in a way, um, perhaps Neanderthals were sentient, not the sentience as we understand it. But it can't qualify it as not sentient because it seems to talk, but it doesn't seem to have the kind of higher functions, you know, other alien species have. It just seems right. To... But that's I mean, sentient. I mean, I don't think it means that you have to be as intelligent as humans. Like it just means like what you make sense of your environment and stuff. Yeah, I think the I only. Suppose. It seemed like the only thing that it really was focused on was feeding. So maybe that's the only thing it's aware of. I don't know. It's just an interesting term, quasi-sentient. Mm-hmm. Uh, sentient, sure able to mean. perceive or feel things. Yeah, it could definitely do that. It was hungry. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So Sinclair finds Londo in the casino, of course. <laughs> when he asks Londo about the feeder, Londo seems disgusted. And when he finds out that there's one on the station, he promises to send information to Sinclair and rushes off to hide in his quarters. It's pretty funny <laughs> yeah. scene. I love that. <laughs> that was a, quite a reaction. Only Nakaline is a dead Nakaline. Is that what he said? I think so. Yeah. Uh, he leaves the credit stick behind as well. He's <laughs> gone. Yeah, it's a lovely little light moment in this with the whole London's reaction to the feeder. It's mm. <laughs> clearly he was told 
stories of this creature when he was a child or something like that, because didn't he say he, the um, planet had been quarantined for a long time? Right. Mm-hmm. So he's never encountered one, but he must have been told stories of them. Yeah, I think he said they're colonizing days. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. That's a while ago. Yeah. So they they so fully had me with the Ambassador Kosh thing that at this point I was like, you guys, you're wrong. Like, wh- what are you talking about this creature for? It's Kosh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the first time I watched it, I must have missed where they were saying that the feeder was this thing that was doing it. And so I thought it was a whole separate thing that... Uh, in my mind, that was what he was trying to smuggle on and what he needed. Uh, what's his face's help for? Jinxo's help for. Mm-hmm. So oh. I, I continued almost the entire episode thinking that was Kosh. <laughs> I did too, except I just thought they were looking for this creature that they thought it was, and it wasn't. Because <laughs> somebody predicted snakes, and that's what it was. <laughs> yeah, that's and, and what happens. And then I was also like... Towards the end, I was like, would they really have Kosh, like, come out as this sinister of a villain already? Yeah. Like, we've seen him do bad, <laughs> ambiguous things or whatever, but but to actually have this him be mind-wiping people? And then yeah, I kind of as, <laughs> came to my senses. <laughs> but they've thought- also done other dumb things on this show, so I thought it was just, like, <laughs> some dumb thing that they've done. <laughs> like, I was like, okay, fine, Kosh is, like, the lackey of this, like, Hick guy. That, <laughs> <laughs> anybody, I was like, all right. anybody saw it? Cthulhu? No, what's that? No. No. So next, um, Delin and Lanier are talking to Aldis. They, they've looked at their records and they don't have any knowledge of the grill, but they're going to send word to their home world looking for news. Jinxo's surprised they're helping considering the war and all. Lanier explains that the Minbari have two castes, the warrior caste and the religious caste. The warrior cast wouldn't understand, so they're not going to tell them. When the two casts do agree on something, it's a terrible thing, and Delenn hopes that it never happens again in their lifetime. Okay. <clears throat> so, what she's saying here is that, I think what she's saying here is that the last time they agreed was about the war. Mm-hmm. That's what I got, too. Why would the religious cast agree about the war? Because whatever they had to do to Sinclair... <laughs> yes, it's, it's something with Sinclair, but oh, it's so weird. Oh, they just keep, keep giving us more questions. Yeah, so yeah, you get, as I said, you get more insight into the Membari way of thinking and their culture. Apart from possible connections to the war, what else do you make of this whole cast idea? An interesting way to divide. Warrior versus religious, right? So does that mean like if you're not if you're religious, then you're you're peaceful and don't want war, and if you're a warrior, you're not religious? Yeah, because usually wars, I mean, at least in you know the human culture, many times wars are fought because of religion. Mm-hmm. So that's a very interesting divide. Uh, yeah, because of because of religion or as an excuse. Yeah, sure. Uh, well, I wonder if the um, Great Council is then it must be a religious only body because that's what Delenn is. I, I believe, I mean, she would be in the religious caste. Yeah, exactly. Um, 
So the Great Council would be religious only. Um, so that's something, I guess. So it, I want to see someone from the Warrior cast. Now, did we see somebody at the on the on yeah, the pilot? The pilot, that guy, was from a splinter group that broke off from the Warrior cast. The guy that tried ah. to the Wind Spirits who um, Wind Souls, Wind Souls who were harboring. We also get yeah. Because he had a and whole. They were a, yeah, they, <laughs> they were a faction, and they were a faction of the um, warrior cast, but only okay. a fac, you know, a splinter faction. So you haven't seen anyone yet, I don't believe, from the official side of the warrior cast. Mm-hmm, the non-splinter groups. <laughs> okay, yeah, it will be interesting. And down below, the feeder wants richer foods, older minds. And Deuce orders that the Ombudsman and Jinxo be brought to them. So what are these creatures eating now on their planet? Each other? Mm. Good question. It's interesting that these guys are the only ones that hear the um, feeder speak. Or the normal main cast members don't ever hear them talk. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, I wonder whether on their original planet... They were the only ones who could develop any sort of intelligence because they're actually leeching off other pe- other, other creatures' brains, and so that would hinder brain development in other species on their own planet. It would almost ensure other species as a survival mechanism wouldn't um, pro- progress that much mentally, would kind of almost try and shield their minds, almost. Hmm, yeah, I don't know. Next, uh, Garibaldi is surprised that Londo coughed up the information so quickly, but Londo's locked in his room. <laughs> there's, <laughs> there's oh, not- actually, one second. If he's locked in his room, what, did Lond- uh, did Beard just disobey his orders and let the, um, what's it, um, Aldous and um, Thomas in? Yeah. Probably. <laughs> he's locked himself in the room. Uh, no wonder London's mad. You let them in. I told you to keep the room locked. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're clearly not figures. <laughs> the, the paranoid state London's in. Or to be well, London needs a good slapping. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they don't want to panic the station yet, so there won't be any kind of alert. And then Dr. Franklin suddenly pops up on the screen. <laughs> yes, he does. He pops up and nobody says yes. Nobody answered it. I noticed that. Maybe he's got some sort of medical emergency override. (laughs) (laughs) Always have a little screen over your screen so that nobody can see it. (laughs) Um, The tests have concluded that they're definitely dealing with a feeder, so they're going to run a check on every ship that's passed through the Centauri sector and docked at B-5 in the last 90 days, and Garibaldi's about to go off and find Jinxo. And next is the scene in Londo's quarters where he's yelling at somebody and wants the quarantine put back in place. So I don't know that I missed the part where they said the quarantine had been taken down. Um, I didn't hear anything. I think that's no. what we were just supposed to get from him wanting it put back in place. Yeah. I think so. Yeah, and Jeremy kind of has a note on this that he basically said, yeah, there was some sort of budget cut and one of the things that got cut was the quarantine <laughs> budget. Wait, like they were going to film something showing? Uh, I don't know, but it's basically this website has answers from 
on JMS from questions that were actually posted at the time the episode aired. And okay. one of them was asking about the quarantine, and it's basically, JMS basically said, yeah, well, if, if you really want so this is what the in-world answer would have been, that some, some bureaucrat in the uh, Centauri Republic looked where they could cut the budget from and chose, you know, to cut budget from this quarantine world that hasn't had any trouble in the past. How many years, you know? And why does that sound so familiar? That kind of budget cuts. Oh, well, yeah. Um, Yeah, Aldous and Jinxo are there to speak to him. Lando, you know, since he can get the information, but it's going to cost a lot of money, but Beer's already done the work for them. (laughs) And there's nothing they have seems to fit the description of what they're looking for, but he gives them a data crystal. And Lando has yeah, a funny uh, line saying the beer. Yeah, he's got a great line there. Yeah. <laughs> um, did you guys notice when Lando like got off of his quote unquote phone call that he swipes the screen to hang up? So I have Oh that yes. Lando has an iPad. Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um next Jinxo Jinxo thinks Aldous might be a little crazy and Aldous explains how he got into the search for the grail. I kind of zoned out on this part. <laughs> I didn't. I don't know the details of his story. Uh, basically, basically, like his family was killed, and he needed like more something more in his life than just numbers. Yeah, it, yeah. yeah. He was an accountant before, and then you know went back to work and couldn't concentrate on his work, so he quit searching for something more, and someone else found him. Hmm. So did we notice that the the symbol on his robe is a triangle? It's a Celtic knot that. triangle, mm-hmm. isn't it? It's a what? It, a triangle done in a Celtic knot style. What is that? Do you know what that means? It, it's basically, um, it's Celtic designer. It's basically, um, what's it? Des- basically a design that kind of where you got... From you know, line thick lines that kind of intertwine into one another. That's the best way to describe it. And um, he, on his um, robe, the design knots into a triangle. If you get what I mean, it the the lines go in and out, it, under and over one another, and twist around. Kind of. It looked like a triangle, except for the top was knotted. Yeah. Do you know what it means, or? Um, I'm not sure, it's, but I know it's the it design prevalent in, in Celtic culture. Um, and I suppose given the, um, you know, m- nature of searching for this uh, item, searching for the grain, um, and saying he's from part of an ancient order, um, you know, I think that's meant to tie into that idea. You mean it's not meant to tie into the triangle on her forehead? Dang it! Yeah, come on. Give me, throw me a bone here, Ian. Next, we're back in the courtroom, and the ombudsman calls a recess. After he leaves, he gets taken by Deuce's men. Next, we see Deuce's men come to take Jinxo, but Aldis kicks some butt, and they all leave. Yeah. (laughs) Warrior. Did anybody get an Obi-Wan Kenobi Padawan vibe from this whole thing? <laughs> I kind yeah, of I got Gandalf. <laughs> yeah. 
I mean, especially later when he's talking to the feeder. I was thinking, like, these are not the Jedi's. You can't do <laughs> <Yeah>. or whatever. <laughs> you shall not pass. <laughs> yeah. Either one. Yeah. It all yeah. it all works together. But yes, definitely got that vibe. So Jinxel's worried that Deuce's men are going to be mad because of that. And um, Al just gives Jinxel some encouraging words about seeing yourself for what you are. Then they go to Aldous's last stop, which is to see Kosh. And when Jinxo sees him, he thinks that he's looking at the feeder. And then he, well, he thinks Kosh is the one doing the brain wipe, so he gets scared and runs away. <laughs> Panics. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, if, if you ever had the subtitles in this, I don't know whether any of you noticed, but the subtitles in this are kind of. <laughs> He's healthy, Kosh, and he, the subtitles had it as Gosh. Oh, really? Uh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, yeah, basically, when Kosh was there in the doorway, he was, he was kind of there quite nonchalantly, and it was, eh, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of the way I, re- I read it. It was kind of just humans doing whatever humans do, whatever. Okay. <laughs> Aldous has gone after Jinxo. Jinxo tells him to get on a ship and leave. Um, Aldous fights off some more of Deuce's men before he gets zapped. Jinxo hides, and the men threaten to feed Aldous to the Vorlon if Jinxo doesn't come out. Come out, come out. In C&C, Ivanova has narrowed down the list of possible ships that could have smuggled the feeder to 24. Clara interrupts them because Garibaldi's on the link. The ombudsman didn't make it back to court. This quarters is a mess, and one of Deuce's men was seen hanging around. Mm-hmm. Just a side note. Um, she's wearing one earring here, and I think maybe she doesn't have a piercing on her other ear. Maybe that's why. Anyways, the mystery is solved. Uh, <laughs> I didn't notice. There's a picture coming. Yeah, I just found an image of a Celtic knot just so that you get the idea. And I think the one on Aldis's, um robes was an upside-down version of this. And it's basically, um, as I've said earlier, it's, it's a design. Um, it's an ornamental design. And then, you know, when Christian culture uh, started... Uh, spreading throughout um, the British Isles. They then incorporated it into um, early crosses. Okay. Cool. And down below we see the ombudsman is tied up, and they bring Aldous in, and then fake Kosh comes in. Elsewhere we see Jinxo finds Sinclair. He's worried they're going to feed Aldous to the Vorline, which <laughs> confuses Sinclair. But Sinclair to do it. <laughs> yeah. Sinclair gets Garibaldi to track his, track his signal and they head off. Yeah, at this point I was still like, um, yeah, because he's Kosh and I don't know what you're looking for this stupid creature for. <laughs> totally did not <laughs> put things together. And down below you see a tentacle come out of the encounter suit. But Aldous steps forward and says the ombudsman is under his protection and the tentacle thing goes back in. He orders. Yeah. Oh. What was that? Like, what are we? What is that? What is what? What is his power over this creature? Oh. Like that came out of nowhere. 
He's That's his Jedi mind trick. <laughs> oh, yeah, his Jedi. <laughs> Oh, well, am I not supposed to think about this? Because that's like a pretty big thing. Uh, I, I, I personally took it more as, you know, he didn't see it as a thing. He was trying to talk to it as a, on an equal level, as an equal individual, and trying, I was trying to identify with it. But he could see that it was hiding and it was, and that he was trying to reach out to it and identify with it and say, you don't need to hide. I understand what you're going through. I thought he was trying to get it to kill itself or something or die or he's like, don't have to be afraid or go toward the light or something like that. Yeah, I was thinking, maybe it's kind of like a dog where if you're kind of authoritative, they'll, you know, listen or. I guess. I don't know. It just seemed a little strange. So, yeah, so he orders the thing to show itself and it comes out and starts to come over and Garibaldi's men bust through and there's another firefight. And the feeder disappears, and it's when Sinclair and Jinxo arrive, and the feeder feeds on somebody. And we see Jinxo going to save the ombudsman, and Aldous warns Jinxo about feeder approaching, but he gets shot by Garib- was it Garibaldi who shot Aldous? I think. I don't think so. Uh, no, I thought it was the guy was trying to hit uh, Jinx. Okay. I think it was uh, what's his name, um, Juice. Oh, Juice. Yeah, Juice. Okay. Um, yeah, I wanted to say about the, um, feeder in this, it, the effect of it is, it's the, uh, it's definitely CGI. I think this is the first CGI, uh, full CGI creature we've got. Um, yes, the actual physical, um, appendage looked more realistic than the CGI here, but when I watched it this time, I, I, I was reminded that you know, five, six years later, Star Trek Voyager will do CGI creature, whatever the uh, name of that species that was battling the Borg in that. And it didn't actually look that much more advanced than this creature. I mean, you know, it's six years later, and this creature and what whatever the species was called in Voyager was didn't actually look in detail that different, you know. They were really leading the way in terms of CGI on this. Oh yeah, I thought it was pretty good. I didn't, I didn't know it was CGI, and I didn't like it. Didn't jump out at me as bad CGI. So I guess that's a good thing. Yeah, it looks pretty good. The feeder gets killed, and Aldous is dying. Can I ask a question? Sure. Does anybody know like what does a laser do? Because it seemed to have just hit him in the arm. So. What exactly is a laser doing to him physically? I don't know. Um, down his circulatory system? I don't know. Have we actually gotten a name of what the weapons are yet? Because if we haven't, I think when you do hear the name of the, what the weapons are, that'll help explain it. I think I said it one episode. But... Um, that was pretty lethal then if it could just hit you in the arm and kill you. <sighs> Yeah, the thing is, if if you don't mind me saying it, I'll, I'll, I'll say it because it'll kind of... I don't know whether hitting the arm would actually do much damage, but, I mean, I'm asking you now, as new viewers, do you want me to give this away now? It's just about the weapons. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't mind. Okay, I don't mind. Uh, they're called PPGs, and that's short for Pogs Plasma Pistol. So basically, it's balls of plasma. Okay. 
the shooting balls of plasma at them. Yeah. And so it, it basically, when it hits the skin, it's meant to burn into the skin and um, cause tissue damage. And they actually use those weapons rather than projectiles because if they use projectiles, it'll go through the hole of the, of the space station mm-hmm, and potentially okay. cause breach. So, so it's supposed to, like, cause tissue damage. Okay. Quite a severe amount of tissue damage, but it's still meant right. to cause tissue damage. So, you know, if you were shot in the chest, you know, it would burn through your skin, into your chest, into your, through your heart. And, you know, depending on the range, it'd do more damage. Depending on the yield of the plasma pistol or the size of the gun, it'd do more damage. Okay. This is why I, I don't know how much damage hitting a shoulder would have done. So maybe it's like one of those things where, you know, like in Buffy, when like the vampire clearly gets hit in the middle of the stomach and yet it dusts. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it's one of those things where it just, they put the CGI on, they didn't realize that it just hit the arm. It should have hit the chest. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Perhaps. Or perhaps he's got pre existing heart condition and um, it just put him into shock so much that his heart gave out. Quite possibly. Mm-hmm. That could be too. Oh, and I've got a bit more information on um, the Celtic knot symbol, especially uh, the symbol that was used um, on the thing. It's called a uh, Triquenta, I think. Um, it's basically Celtic Trinity symbol. Okay. Um, basically, that's they, there's no information exactly um, on what definitively it was for, but it's believed and theorised that pre-Christianity it's basically meant to be, um, you know, kind of the whole mother, mother made and crone thing, and then post-Christianity it's meant to represent the Holy Trinity. Oh, yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, but it could also signify the phases of the moon, and then, you know, not quite sure at the moment... But usually, it's not inverted in the way it's on the robe. Hmm. I think that's actually quite interesting that, you know, um, considering he's looking for this holy item and this, you know, the cup, he's also calling it the cup of the mother, you know, it's not necessarily a Christian item. It could. It's just this holy item that's mentioned in several different mythologies, and so he's got. I think that might be why he's got the Celtic um, knotwork symbol on his um, thing. I'm going to copy the name of the of what it is and see if one of you could actually pronounce it. Um, I should have done this research before the show started, but I didn't think to um, look into this part. No, don't worry about it. I was, in my mind, I was going a different place, so. Yeah, I pasted the name of it into the um, chat, if any of you can pronounce it better than I could. Probably not. I cannot pronounce anything in Celtic, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it sounded good the way you said it, Ian. Yeah, it's easy... It's easier to say just a Trinity knot. Absolutely. But, you know, it's it's definitely an interesting point that, you know, it, it, 
it's a triangle, you know, and triangles are important shapes and, you know, this whole idea of a three-sided meaning to these, you know, the fact that um, this has that meaning to it could actually mean something. But it, then again, it might just be, you know, whoever, whoever made the costume saw the artwork and thought that would be a really cool thing to put on the uh, robe. Yeah, you never know. Could be. So, yes, all this is dying. Jinxo promises that he's going to continue the search for the Grail, and Aldous names Jinxo heir to everything that he has. And when, as Aldous is dying, he says that he sees the Grail. It's like, if you can see, you <laughs> give him a is. clue. What does it look like? <laughs> what do you see around it? <laughs> hmm. Oh, 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 sorry. It's just. Cut this out of the podcast if you want, but I just noticed another Celtic symbol and its meaning. Got nothing to do with Babylon 5, but there's a Celtic symbol named the Triskelion. Oh. Is, you know, yeah. It's actually three legs running, uh, and it means three-legged, and it's a symbol that means for, it stands for competition and man's progress. Mm-hmm. I, I just it's completely nothing to do with Babylon Five, but you know, <laughs> if you if you know Marvel stuff, if you see Captain America or Agents of Shield, you'll understand that. <laughs> well, that was kind of funny to me. I was sorry. Sorry, a, I was thinking of a Star Trek reference. Oh right. I, Wait, I what did you say it was for? Try what? Try Scalion. What is that? Agents of Shield. Um. It's basically um, Shield's main base. It's it's oh. Shield's main base of operations is the Triskelion. Oh, I guess that stuff just goes back by me. <laughs> yeah, sorry, it's just completely tangent away from B five, but I know it happens. That, that, they've taken it from there, and what it means. It's just kind of fun, and will can be cut from the podcast if you don't think it's appropriate. <laughs> I'll let you get back to it. In Kasha's quarters, find out they've confiscated the fake encounter suit, which was pretty close to the real one. Deuce just wanted people to think that the Vorlons worked for him. Nobody knows what a Vorlon looks like, so it makes people nervous. I don't know. It seemed like if you know anything about the Vorlons, how would you think that the Vorlons worked for him? Unless this was... Are you saying this to me and Heidi? Oh, yes, I'm saying, I'm saying this to all of you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, who, who would think that? Oh, well, only us me. dummies, apparently. I didn't oh. really think that he was necessarily working for him, but that he had the same motives as, yes. as Deuce had. Working with him. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> oh, man. Offended. <laughs> oh. In the docking area, Delin and Sinclair are talking. Oh, they say it's a, Sinclair says it's a hard thing to spend your life searching for something and never find it. And Garibaldi comes and they're taking Aldous's body away. And we see Jinxo arrive in a brand new wardrobe. Yeah. Uh, Delin gives him something to put on the ground where Aldous rests. It glow, it will glow every night for a hundred years. And that's their way with all true seekers. Like Sinclair, apparently. <laughs> she gives a nice little meaningful look there. 
Garibaldi tells Jinxo to take care, and he says, my name is Con or Thomas. Sorry. Heidi, Heidi. <laughs> yeah. Uh, did this remind you of anything? My name is Cassidy. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I thought about when he said that. That's hilarious. It's a Veronica Mars. Listen to Investigating Mars, folks. <laughs> oh, I remember, now I know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Cassidy. Um, yeah. Um, I know it's a very small thing, but Garibaldi's kind of perspective on this scene, you know, he, he tells the uh, um, people transporting Aldous his body to take care of it, you know, um, and it's kind of... he. Garibaldi didn't respect what Gaius was looking for and what his quest was, but he respected the man's actions and, you know, shows what it takes to earn Garibaldi's respect that, you know, he'll judge you on your actions. Yes, he'll also judge you on what, you know, what your, what your goals are, but his ultimate evaluation is based completely on your actions and that your actions speak for themselves, I think. That's my interpretation of what he's doing in this scene anyway. Yeah. So that's Garibaldi is talking to Londo through his door, assuring him that the feeder's dead. <laughs> Londo and Veer come out and they talk about how Dr. Franklin's dissecting it. Garibaldi tells them some stuff just to freak them out. As long as you can hear it, you're fine. And blah, blah, blah. And, Londo ends up locking beer outside. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Yeah, uh, it's just... Well, you've seen before, they've got an odd sort of friendship here with Garibaldi, and it's just... You have to wonder, is Garibaldi paying Londo back for something here, or is Londo going to realise what Garibaldi's done and set some, something up for him later down the line? <laughs> Play a practical maybe. joke on him. Both maybe. Yeah. <laughs> and back up to the C&C, they're watching Thomas Lee. They talk about the Babylon curse. They don't, they're not taking it seriously. They see Thomas go through the jump gate and nothing happens, at least not yet. And Not yet. Yeah. <laughs> and then the end credits. Yeah. So I guess I have an overall sort of question. Things that I was thinking about while I was watching this episode. And I don't know if this is like a newbie question or not. But, you know, bringing it, bringing this Holy Grail search into the episode. I, I'm just trying to figure out why. Like, what was the point of the, I'm, not in a bad way, but just like. Like, what made them decide to have an episode centered around somebody searching for the Holy Grail? Like, what is this telling us about the universe that we're watching? Uh, what are we learning from this? Um, we, are learn- we are learning a bit about the Minbari. Yes. We, we did learn a bit about the Minbari, but it, it wasn't necessarily, it didn't have to be based on somebody searching for the Holy Grail. True. Okay, so what I kind of take from this is, for one thing, no one has yet found the Holy Grail um, True. in the future. Uh, it's also something that we as viewers already understand. We already know what it is. They don't have to explain some mm-hmm. mythical object to us. Um, and we do learn about the Mimbari, but uh, 
we also get um, kind of a look into um, the human side of things, too. Yes. I mean, you know, Sinclair yes. is very laughing at this, and, you know, this is just some some myth that has gone on forever and ever. And I'm just trying to figure out, like, what... Like I, this, this is probably it can never be answered. But this this episode just made me think: like, did they start with the premise of they wanted somebody seeking the Holy Grail, or did they start with here's something we want to tell the folks about the Membari or whatever, and what's the best way to frame this? You know, because I feel like it mostly was about the story of um, Jinx Jinxo, right? Yeah. But wrapped um, around it was this Holy Grail guy, which. Yes, we we have a a basis for the Holy Grail, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that's a reason to bring it into the story. But I'm just trying to figure out, like, overall, Uh, it's interesting for me to think about, like, why they brought it in. Well, then, what do you see as Thomas's story in all of this, then? If it's his story, what is his story? Well, I I mean, I think it's just, his story is just sort of a way for this sort of creature that sees himself as hopeless, as unlucky or as a curse and then finding his meaning. Um, I mean, it's not like a most original story, but I mean, that's, that's how it, the whole episode is sort of framed around his story. It starts with him and it ends with him and finding the meaning. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I guess it's just a way of, I mean, it's just kind of a story about finding, finding a meaning. It didn't really have anything to do with the Holy grail. It seems like, mm-hmm. no. um, it, it was just, a way to, I don't know, we're just, it, I, I like the episode. I was just trying to figure out, because I don't really think we learned a whole lot of new things. We, we barely, we, we learned a little bit more about the Membari. Um, a little bit. Babylon Station. Yeah, yeah, we already knew the fourth one disappeared. We, I guess we did learn the first two were sabotaged. Three. Oh, the third one well, was sabotaged too? Well, the third one exploded, and they yeah. don't know, they don't know why, but the other two were sabotaged, and this one blew up. We don't know, yeah. but okay. it it points to that direction, but we can't be sure. And the fourth one was stolen. <laughs> yeah, we're like a black hole or something. I wonder where they all did. Does anybody know they were all supposed to be in that same place? And this the place that the Babylon is now? Sorry, the silence is deafening. I know. <laughs> okay. Either they know something and can't say, or they don't know and won't say but i'm thinking the first okay okay um yes the ninth episode produced the first cgi alien oh the ship that thomas left on was called the marie celeste that was kind of a joke because the real marie celeste was found drifting in the sea in 1872 and all the crew was missing and the lifeboat was missing they never figured out what happened to the crew Oh, so and she survived? Sorry? Did you say the Marie Celeste was a ship or a yeah, person that survived? that's the name of the ship. ship. Oh, okay. I don't know what happened to the crew members. Um, the the yeah. other thing, of course, is that the ship that, that Aldous arrived on was the Von, the Von Braun. Braun. It was a rocket scientist guy. Yes. And JMS did say that after the episode, they had a talk with the composer about funny music, and we do not anticipate further dis- Discussions. I don't know what party's talking about that had funny music, but uh, hang on. Uh, yeah, so just 
reading a bit more on uh, what JMS said about the Marie Celeste. Um, uh, it's, well, not just what he said, but about the Marie Celeste, that uh, basically their crew was missing, as was a single lifeboat, but there were half-eaten meals in the mess hall and other evidence that the crew had suddenly left and investigators found that the captain of uh, another ship, De Grandia, had dined with uh, Captain Beeks of the Celeste night before departure and that uh, Morehouse, the captain of the other ship, and his crew were tried for murder but no hard evidence were found. They were acquitted... But basically, the crew members of Mary Celeste were never found. And so there's an extra mystery there. And then there's a quote later on that basically says, what company in their right mind would then name their ship the Mary Celeste? Good question. That is an interesting story, huh? Mm. Those are all my notes. How about quotes of the week? Any quotes? Several in this, I think. There's a, a few good ones. Yeah, there's some good ones. Well, yeah, and you want to go first as a guest, or? No, uh, you go first. Okay, Will, go ahead. Oh, I saw one from Ivana, but no boom today, boom tomorrow. There's always boom tomorrow. Classic, isn't it? <laughs> I think there's a light in this week's. No, uh, no, no, you've got to go. You've got to fully go all the way to the end. Yeah, you have yes. to. What? Well, that's all what, I have. Somebody's got to have perspective round here. Yes. And then, That's, boom, and then sooner or later, boom. boom. Yep. Yeah. I have that yeah. end part. I'll, I'll, I'm going to get, yeah, I'll, I'll go for my Londo quote because I think I might just about be able to do some sort of accent. A few more people like you, Viet, and the, the entire Centauri Republic will efficient itself Out of to extinction. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, it's lovely. Um, I have one that's. Uh, Lanier and Sinclair. Lanier says, that's him. Sinclair says, you've met him before? Lanier says, no, but he has the look. I think you say about that. Okay. Yeah, there's... Um, yeah, I have one. Oh, Yan, sorry? Yeah, I have... Uh, I had the boom today, of course, but see yourself for what you are, not what others try to make you. Mm-hmm. Nice. Eldest um, to uh, to uh, Jinxo. Yeah, that's a good one. They had good conversations. Yeah. Uh, Sinclair. Yeah, Sinclair. Uh, no one knows exactly what you look like. That makes some people a little nervous. Kosh. Good. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> okay. I've got one more then. Um, and it's basically when uh, Garibaldi and Sinclair were talking about... Um, Trying to catch um, what's his name, the criminal, and he Deuce. goes, to, uh, "Yeah, do so." He's, he he says, "I've got as much chance doing that as I have seeing a ball under a strip tease." Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you're right. That's my backup. <laughs> so there's that, that, there's, also, there's one more if you if you like, Garibaldi to Lando. When you hear nothing, worry. <laughs> All right, how about our characters of the week? Who's human of the week? I mean, just I because, guess... Yeah, Go so ahead. I was going to say, just because he's such a cool actor um, and it, it's a nice role, um, David Warner, oldest yeah. guy, 
Agreed. Yeah, I've really enjoyed that character, and since he died, we won't see him again, so I think he should get it. Yeah, yeah, I go for that. How about Alien of the Week? The alien in the courtroom? (laughs) 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 I love that guy. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Can I get a translator in here? (laughs) I don't think we can really go with Kosh, because most of the time it wasn't actually him. Yeah. Yeah. All right, alien in the courtroom. <laughs> yeah, unnamed alien. Oh, uh, what what's um the ombudsman quote? It's something like, "Why does an ombudsman other name get these cases?" Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Why is it Ombud Zimmerman never gets these cases? Only me. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's do some episode ratings. You want to start out, Yan? Yes. Let me see. What have I here? I gave this one eight knuckling feeders. All right. You stole my rating system. <laughs> it's your turn, Heidi. <laughs> yes. Um, so I, I really liked this episode. Like, I liked that it completely fooled me. And even though I was a little disappointed that it wasn't Kosh who was doing <laughs> the feedings because I was so invested in that story. <laughs> Um, I really enjoyed where it did go, and I and I liked Jinxo and Aldous, and and so I'm gonna go. And I don't keep track of what I rate other episodes, so honestly, I'm not sure if this is really high for me or if there's others that have been higher. But I'm gonna go with a 8.5 out of 10. Um, Kasha's extra encounter suit. Cool, nice. <laughs> uh, how about you, Elizabeth? Yeah, I I did like this episode um, quite a bit. I thought it was interesting, and the plot was not boring. Um, I you know we got some good information. I, I wish we would get more information and less questions. Sometimes I feel like I just want something answered. You know, welcome but, to the well, world lost, right? <laughs> yeah, at some point we will. I'm sure. Hopefully, God, that would suck. <laughs> um, but yeah, I liked it. I liked. I liked the character of Gaich. I liked learning about the ombuds process. I mean, what, what we got to see of it anyway. I liked that they were talking about the problem with the down below people at least. And I love the ending with Ivanova. And, um, yeah, so I, I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, so I'm going to give it um, eight Vorlons on a stripper pole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the ratings are on the website if you want to check those out. But... You may end up seeing the name of future episodes if you're not careful. Um, Ian. Yeah, uh, I like this episode for, you know, as I said, David Warner's acting. It, it's always nice to get actors like this on the show, guest actors popping up that really de- deliver a memorable character. And um, you get little hints as to the inner workings of Babylon 5 and other stuff going on. Oh, I suppose as well. You know, the knuckling feed of a CGI alien for the show and uh, went down better than I thought it would have done. Uh, maybe it's just from my perspective it wasn't that well done, but I think I can actually give a bit extra for that because clearly Heidi and Elizabeth, you you liked them and so got to give it credit for that because... You know, they they did a really good job there, and 
And there's some really nice ideas running throughout this episode. So I'm going to say 7.5 rooms out of 10. <laughs> uh, cool. Yeah, I really like the episode, too. It was much, much better than TKO, I think. Well, that's not true. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we have to base it on that. Yeah. That's, that's, 10 out of 10. It was a breath of fresh air. Uh, just, just imagine the run of episodes if it had been Infection, TKO, followed by Believers. Oh, oh, man. Oh, oh. People would have stopped watching. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think you guys have said, you know, I like the storyline. I liked all this Gaiich and Jinxo and all that. I'm going to give it 8 out of 10 mind wipes. Hope nobody said that already. Nope. So I don't think so. So our average score is an even 8. Just that one quite high. Yeah, one of the highest yeah. ones. It's the second highest one, actually. All right, about feedback. We have some feedback. I'm going to do a song about feedback. and I want to sing it every week. <laughs> we do kind of need a little extra jingle here for feedback. I'm surprised you haven't played the um, Jay-Z Holy Grail song. Oh, that's at the end. <laughs> coming oh, okay. <laughs> um, man, I lost. Oh, it's in a different document. Okay, we have e- we have feedback from the website. On Grail from Board 99. Who wants to take that? I can do that. I'm going to have to make the font a little bigger, though. Okay, here we go. Um, yeah. So, Board 99 says, spoilers for Grail, I'm very curious to hear what you think of this one. It's another one that I'm afraid doesn't bring much progress on the big arc-related questions that you've expressed curiosity about, but it does have some pluses. Number one, that's David Warner and William Sanderson in the same episode. I guess this is where the guest cast budget went for the season. Worth it. (laughs) (laughs) Number two, thematically, it all hangs together nicely around variations on the relationship between hidden knowledge and the loss slash transformation of identity. Gaich and Jinxo slash Thomas are reborn into new identities by their search for a secret object, and this allows them to escape their past and its memories especially Jinxo, who was almost literally trapped on the station by his past. Meanwhile, the other strand plays out the consequences of the secrecy surrounding the Vorlons. This enables Deuce, in turn, to create another secret object, the Feeder, which Sinclair has to seek out, and Deuce's scheme involves the forcible destruction of identity and memory, the flip side of Gaich and Jinko. Jinxo. Extortion slash crime, drama, and mysticism are not the most obvious two things to pair, but this story does a good job of making it all seem like a natural fit. Plus, as Dylan points out, it also parallels Sinclair's own search for the truth of what happened to him at the Battle of the Line, and what it means, so it relates to some of the overall themes of the series so far. Number three, I'm a bit of an easy mark for anything Arthurian. The use of the grail here is pretty general, but there's good stuff nevertheless. Jinxo's transformation perhaps can be compared to Lancelot's temporary repentance of his sin as a consequence of searching for the grail and partly failing. Thank you for that feedback. Thank you. Thanks for... Very insightful. Yeah, yeah, I love the feedback. Uh, Next we have an email from Lori. Who wants to take Lori's email? Yeah. I have that uh, Facebook one for that. Yeah, I'll take Lori's. Okay. Um, here we go. Though I anticipate the ambassadors will be a bit disappointed that they did not 
get a lot of storyline progression in this episode, there was the interesting guest star. I must point out here, Ian. Um, yeah. Sorry to stop you. I I think that we've maybe um, put across that we don't like standalone episodes, and I would just like to say that I definitely do like standalone episodes. I don't need every episode to move the story along. I think that so far, the episodes that haven't been big into, like, arky story stuff have just been bad, and that's why we haven't really liked them. But, like, I'm Fair fine enough. with episodes like this. So. Yes, I, yeah. I agree. I mean, I, as you can tell by our ratings, too, like, even though, I mean, I like getting... Don't get me wrong. I like getting answers to questions. And, you know, so sometimes it can be like if you have a long stretch of things where you brought up a lot of questions and then you have like nothing to do with that. Like if there's a long stretch of them, yeah, I might get a little frustrated. But that doesn't mean I, you know, exactly like Heidi said, like I still like a good standalone episode, you know, and a good standalone episode brings in things about the characters that we already know, you know, and and. Maybe we learn more about the characters or maybe, you know, uses their, what we already know about them in a good way or something like that. Um, or like this episode did use other characters as a mirror for our main characters. Right, right. And this was good, too, because it brought up some like more weightier themes and topics and stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, we still like them. It gives, it gives the story some depth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. OK, well, that's the message sent out there. Heidi and Elizabeth aren't. Looking for plot progression episodes every episode, guys. <laughs> I think yeah. we've got that message across. Okay, I'll, uh, back to Laurie's feedback then. <laughs> I only know him from Blade Runner, but that was a very memorable role. Also, though Aldous, the honoured seeker, ended up as a sympathetic character by the end though it was predictable, did the newbies guess that Jinso would take up the mantle at the end? Yeah, kind (laughs) of. Yeah, not necessarily until he, you know, was dying, but yeah, I kind of figured then. Hmm. Also, looking forward to what the newbies thought about Delenn's views towards his, his quest, even though she understood it was locally futile. There is... A good quote in the... <laughs> there is a good quote in there that she says to Sinclair, or you all to ponder. Did you all get from the beginning that as well... Mm, so from the beginning as well that the Vaughan, in quotes, was just a suit and not kosh? <laughs> uh, I think we've answered that one. No. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It was... Either that or the budget had suffered considerably as the movement of it was terrible. Well, that was a bit of a clue. It did move differently. It did really enjoy... Sorry, I'm really messing this one up bad this week, Laurie. (laughs) I did really enjoy the scene at the beginning where the judge is hearing the case involving... (laughs) Past alien abductions, yeah. apparently. <laughs> that part was written by JMS because it was always something he had wanted to do. This episode also features the series' first CGI alien, the Nocturne Feeder, 
who I thought was pretty creepy and reminiscent of the alien from the Alien movies. Oh, yeah, that's true. Did have a bit of that about it, definitely. More more the facehugger alien than some of the other alien. I mean, the main alien, I think, actually. You know, a scaled-up facehugger. Okay, uh, back to the feedback. We do find out what happened to the first four stations, but are still left with questions, of course. Of a much course. better, A much better episode than last week's, though still not really satisfying. 6.5 out of 10 mythological grails. Alien, creepy feeder, human <laughs> juice. For a great guest appearance... Uh, sorry, yeah. Juice for a great guest appearance. Laurie. Yeah, Thank you, Laurie. Thanks, Laurie. Thanks, Laurie. One of these days I'll be able to get through a piece of feedback without messing it up. From Victor. Grail is another of those throwaway episodes that doesn't go anywhere. It teased us with glimpses of Kosh and the earlier four Babylon stations, but it all turned out to be a mirage. There is an implausible tale of a seeker who couldn't find the Holy Grail on Earth, so now he wants to search Babylon 5 for it. I suppose it's possible that someone could have sneaked it through customs onto the station. We've already seen a Centauri Eye and a Narn Flower find their way onto Babylon 5, not to mention this week's feeder monster that had been smuggled out of quarantine. A small-time extortionist named Deuce, I suppose if he had been big-time he could have been called Ace, Game to intimidate people by hiding the feeder inside an encounter suit that resembled a certain ambassador. Right away, the whole thing smells fishy when the feeder mind wipes a woman down below. Would Ambassador Kosh really be getting involved in criminal activity like this? Quit pointing out the... the, the... Yeah, I hate you all. Quit it. Sorry, I was talking about the people in the world. Like, how? why would they... Sorry. <laughs> It's okay. Everybody else apparently noticed but us. But the first time I watched it, I'm pretty sure I was full, too. I mean, it seemed implausible, but I was like, (laughs) all right, well, there's a lot of implausible things in this show. (laughs) To me, the Vorlons are like elephants. They're strange looking and very powerful, and no one can understand them, but for some reason, everyone likes them anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I suppose Deuce had skimmed through a copy of Vorlons for Dummies and figured that all he had to do was build a spiffy encounter suit to impersonate Kosh, but the whole conspiracy predictably unravels, and when the story runs out of gas, it mercifully comes to an end. On a side note, I'm left wondering why it takes so long to do a record search in the 23rd century. Does Google go out of business sometime in the next three centuries? It always takes hours or even days to search their database. Yeah, maybe it's because it's so large. Yeah. So much more information. I don't know. <laughs> at least there were some comic elements involving Londo and Veer over the feeder being at large on the station. For that alone, this episode gets six, what is that, Ursots, Borlons out of ten. Regards, Victor. Thank you, Victor. Okay, one, one uh, Facebook feedback from John Drano. Um, okay. Let's see. Larry from Newhart is kind of an odd choice for a heavy. <laughs> Pretty good creature design on the brain sucker. I liked it. Did the noobs think for a bit that it really was the Vorlon? Yes, we did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Quit pointing that <laughs> out, please. <laughs> Do the noobs think that B5 will blow up and or disappear now that Thomas has left it? Well, they did have that one thing, prediction, from the... Yeah, we have seen the future where it yeah, blows up. Blows so. up. Eventually, I guess. 
Yeah. Uh, otherwise, another fairly ho hum episode. I give it four missing stations out of ten. Dang! Wow, oh, you guys wow. are critical. <laughs> Favorite alien, brain sucker. Favorite human, Winston Smiles. Okay. Looking forward to your thoughts, Sergeant Drano. Thank you, Thanks, Sergeant John. Drano. <laughs> it was so Who's fun. Winston Smiles? I don't know. I was about to Google that. But maybe I'll okay. <laughs> But um, yeah. If you want to send feedback for us. Any comments or questions, send them to mail at downbelowpodcast.com. Or or the Facebook group. I got Facebook group or the website. We'll check all three places. Um, please leave us reviews on iTunes and other places that have reviews. Yes. All right, how about some episode predictions? The next episode is called Eyes. Is it about the Centauri Eye? <laughs> I don't know. Mm. Eyes. I somehow, I'm sorry, Will, but I somehow see Talia coming back in the next episode. Well, at this point, I'm ready for her to come back and do something. <laughs> yeah. She's that's a good, that's a good one. She's got to earn her spot in the opening credits. Uh-huh. Just, uh-huh. yeah, eyes, seeing things. I, her third I think, eye. Yeah, yeah, I think that, that it could maybe be about her. And it's eyes, so maybe there's multiple ones. Maybe we get more um, size. Ah, that'd be nice. Yeah, that would be nice. Um, either that or <laughs> there's a bunch of Centauri eyes. I don't know. Uh, uh, yeah. Not special after all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I like Tidy's prediction. That's the only thing I could think of was the Centauri eye, but I don't know why that would come back. Who? What, what kind of ambassadors do we think are in this episode? Um, well, Jakar was missing from this one, but I don't know. Well, I have to, I have to go with Centauri, <laughs> but, um, for, cause part of my prediction was the Centauri eye. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, yeah, the, since the Narns were gone, maybe they'll, they'll be in this one, hopefully. More, um, I was going to say more Kodoth, but no, more Natoth. <laughs> we really do want more Kodoth, but. Well, yeah. <laughs> Um, as far as overall predictions, I kind of, I kind of said my thoughts as we went along. I don't really have anything else new. No, but I mean, I think, um, I think this kind of made me even more convinced that Sinclair is supposed to be used for some kind of religious reason. Mm-hmm. Um, just because of what they said about the warrior clans and the religious clans agreeing. They didn't say specifically it was the war, but they used it kind of in that context. Yeah. Uh, so, like, so do you think that the warriors wanted to fight Earth for whatever their warrior reasons, and then the religious cast got involved so that they could do whatever their big plot is? Yeah, maybe they realized that they had this figure that was going to be, um, they would be able to, I don't know, it, there's a lot of holes in this. My right, theory, because but, we don't uh, actually know what the point is. No. And like, I don't know if they have power to see things in the future or to see, you know, what somebody's role is going to be in the future Mm -hmm. or how, you know, and how would they even know that this Sinclair character has anything to do with that? You know, what they are trying to do with the religion. I don't know, but it seems like that's what the show is trying to do. So I'll go with that. Um, Yeah. So that that's probably what it is. Like the warrior cast just wanted to fight for some other reason. And then. Um, they just use that as a a reason to agree. Mm-hmm. 
And then, of course, our our theory about Babylon Four coming back. I mean, we we still. Well, yeah, it's just going to pop yeah. back into existence, maybe yeah. right on top of Babylon Five. <laughs> oh wait! <laughs> if they were in the same space, maybe it'll just come back at the same place. Oh my God, that'd be crazy. Or right, or right next to it. You know, they're right looking next out the window or... one day, and it's like, whoa! Yeah, yeah. Oh, hey, is there a big mirror in space? Uh, yeah, yeah. It's gonna happen. But that's pretty much. It. I don't think we're gonna. I mean, do you think we're gonna see Thomas again? Probably not, unless it's yeah. when unless it's when Babylon Five blows up. <laughs> there's, a, there's a shot of him at the very end shaking his head. Yeah. I knew it. <laughs> Damn you. I knew I shouldn't have left. I found the Holy Grail, but Babylon 5 is gone. Yeah. Well, I guess that's it. Yep. All right. Well, Yan, can you remind everybody where we can find you on the web? Yes. You can find me uh, in the Facebook group and on babylonlurker.net slash blog. Uh, do write something once in a while. Yeah. Well, <laughs> thanks for coming and stepping in. Yes, well, thank you, Jan. Cheers, Jan. Thank you. Well, that's all we have for today, folks. Join us next week for Eyes. And until then, take care and goodbye. Stroke Bye. off. Bye. <laughs> Bye. And baby, it's amazing I'm in this maze with you. I just can't crack your code. Day you're so cold. One day you're here, one day you're there, one day you care. You're so unfair. Sipping from your cup till it runs over. Uh, uh, holy grail. Look for us on the web in iTunes and on Stitcher Radio. Also, downbelowpodcast.com, facebook.com slash group slash downbelowpodcast, and twitter.com slash downbelowcast. Mm-hmm.